0: Hey, folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags earned a big-time victory on Saturday against the Texas Tech Red Raiders thanks to the strength of their outside shooting from their guards. Not expected at all. Tons and tons of great questions here on Mailbag Monday discussing that game, what it means for the Zags going forward ahead of their next game against Northern Arizona. All right here, Locked On Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on now? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to sonos.com to learn more. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. I know some of you have been with me for a very long time. We started ScoreZax Score back in 2018. Some of you are much newer to the show, only coming over when I started at Locked On Zags. Either way, I sincerely appreciate you taking time out of your day to either listen to the show or watch the show. For those of you who have checked us out on YouTube, we are over 200 subscribers, hoping to get to 300 subscribers before the calendar year flips to 2022. We are getting closer every single day, so I really appreciate those of you who have hit that subscribe button on YouTube. If you have not, it's right there. It's right above the video. Just pump it right now real quick. Really appreciate it. Uh, This is a reminder for most of you, but anybody who wants to be involved in Mailbag Monday and has not been already, you can just reach out to me on Twitter at score. whenever you're thinking of a question. Helps if you tag at Mailbag Monday. I will get that question into the show. You can also email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. That's how most of the questions have been coming in lately. I really appreciate that opportunity to interact with you all individually. I respond to every email also gives you an opportunity to ask multiple questions at once. So please, 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 if you have questions, you want to hear my thoughts on something, I love Mailbag Monday. I'm always happy to take those opportunities to talk about what you want to talk about. And for right now, here in Segment 1, we're talking Texas Tech, and we're talking about Gonzaga's three-point barrage and how they managed to win a game using what has been a big weakness for theirs and turning it into a strength. This first question comes from John via Gmail. He says, After our win against Texas Tech, do you feel the same, better, or worse about the team? The playbook on defense against Gonzaga is to take away post-play and dare our outside shooters to score. Yesterday, or in this case Saturday, we took 31 three-point shots and had a good day from outside. But as you have said, we are a bad outside shooting team that will have a good day here and there. Teams are daring our players to shoot from the outside, so if good teams are going to be able to neutralize Timmy to some extent, how do you feel about our chances? So I want to be clear here uh the same question was asked by Christian, Larry, and Jake via Gmail. All, all four of these questions, I'm lumping them into one because effectively the question was, should Gonzaga continue to take a bunch of threes when opposing defenses give them those opportunities? And yes, the, the answer to that question, the short answer is yes. What was nice about this game in particular was Gonzaga's, they forced Texas Tech to have to try to adjust. Tech is a great defensive team. They're a well coached defensive team that has been the playbook for that program for a really long time. And what Gonzaga did is they said, okay, look, this team is going to do everything they can to not let Drew Timmy A get the basketball, and B, when he gets the basketball, he was immediately double teamed, triple teamed. I talked earlier in the year about how some teams were, were really hesitant. To send the double at Drew Timmy, we saw a lot of teams that would wait till he put the ball on the ground before they double teamed. They wouldn't double team at all in the case of Texas. And they just kind of were were more passive about that, and Drew absolutely annihilated those teams. 37 against Texas, great games against many of the other opponents that we've seen do that this year. Tech came into the game thinking, okay, A, we want to try to prevent him from even getting the basketball. And when he does, he doesn't get even a second because he's so quick at making decisions. That's what makes there's a lot of things that make Drew elite. But one of the things that makes Drew Timmy elite is he's really quick decision-making when he gets the basketball. He knows where the defense is, he knows when the double team's coming. He knows whether he should spin baseline or go to the middle. He knows when to do a rip-through move to try to get a foul. He knows when to just shoot over the top. He's so quick at making those decisions and so effortless. He makes it look easy and it's not, it's not easy at all. But tech knew, hey, we just send the house at him. Because then he has no option. He pretty much has to kick it out immediately. And that's what was happening is Drew was getting the ball and pretty much just passing it out right away because two or three guys were right there. But what Gonzaga did is they said, okay, you're going to, like, better than any team that we faced all year long, you're going to just completely take this away from us. So we have to beat you from beyond the arc. And They did. They did. They did it. I wasn't sure that they had it in them. Most people weren't sure that they had it in them, but they did. And what I loved about this effort from Gonzaga is it didn't It didn't start out smooth. They didn't make their first five threes or anything like that. They really struggled to shoot the ball well from beyond the arc to start this game. It took Rasir Bolton knocking a couple of them down. He got a little hot. He got some momentum. And then the second half, it was all Andrew Nembhard. We'll talk about him more later, but he had an incredible game. And he shot through his struggles. He just kept shooting. Same with Rasier Bolton. Bolton made a few, then he missed a few, then he came back and started shooting them again. I don't think 31 three-pointers every game is the recipe for Gonzaga to go undefeated and make the national championship. I don't think that's what they should do. I have I, my stance about Gonzaga's outside shooting, which as John quoted in his, in his question is, they're a bad three-point shooting team who will occasionally have good days. My stance on that is generally unchanged. I don't believe that this team is magically a better three-point shooting team. I don't believe that Rasir Bolton and Andrew Nembhard are magically improved three-point shooters. They're not fixed as outside shooters. We have three years of data that shows Andrew Nempard as an average to below-average three-point shooter. And then he went one for his first nine in this game so him shooting well in a half of a basketball game from three does not mean i believe that he is now a good three-point shooter but but it means that he is capable of doing what the team needs to to secure victory and more importantly the, the gonzaga needed Somebody to step up and start making outside shots. And Nemhard missed eight of his first nine, and he kept doing it. And normally you would be like, why are you still shooting? And I could understand some of us were probably thinking that during the second half of this game. But it was what Gonzaga needed to do to win. This is what Tech was giving them, and they thought, we're just going to keep doing this, and we're going to keep trying it because it's the best look. This is the best way to attack this defense offensively. And Gonzaga proved that they can just grid it out and get it done. And that was what was so significant about this game. So to answer the overall question, do I feel better, worse, same? I feel better. I feel better not because I think that is magically fixed as an outside shooting team. I feel better because they're willing to do it if that's what they need to do to win. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. They thought, because this is not what happened against Alabama. I think that's a huge difference. Against Alabama, you could tell Gonzaga felt like they were a bad three-point shooting team, if that makes sense. They were deferential. They were unwilling to try it. They thought, it seemed like they went into that game with the game plan of, we need to get Drew Timmy the ball a bunch to win. And so they tried to get Drew Timmy the ball a bunch. And he didn't have a, he didn't have a great game. He didn't have a terrible game. But Alabama neutralized Drew Timmy in that game. And Gonzaga seemed to have no other answer. And that's why they lost. I mean, that, they also didn't play well defensively, which was a factor. But, but ultimately, they lost because their top option offensively got shut down, and they didn't know what to do. And I criticized Andrew Nembhard, and Rasier Bolton in that game in particular for not looking to drive to the basket, not looking to find other ways to score. They were running pick-and-rolls where they were getting rid of the ball as soon as they possibly could, and it wasn't working. It was a bad strategy, and they didn't seem to know what to do. Whether that was a coaching issue, whether they were just having an off night, I don't know exactly what it was in that game. But this game, that was not the case. Texas Tech watched the film of Alabama and thought, well, if we just neutralize Timmy completely, which they have the size and physicality to do, then we'll be fine because look what happened against Bama. And Gonzaga answered by doing something different. They tried something new. And the fact that they tried something new and it didn't work in the first half very well and they kept trying it until it worked, that gives me encouragement. That makes me feel better about this team's willingness to fight through adversity, willingness to adjust if necessary, and willingness to keep trying what the right thing is to do. The right thing to do in this game was to keep shooting over their defense. That was the correct thing to do. Even for a not very good three-point shooting team, which I maintain that this team is, they have enough dudes that somebody's going to get hot and somebody's going to have a decent game. And in this situation, it was Nembhard and Bolton both had good. Games. Nemhard struggled in the first half, shot much better in the second half. Bolton hit threes when he needed to hit them, and it helped pull them out of that funk. It helped force Texas Tech to do something different defensively. So I feel better about this team because they're willing to try different things to win offensively. They're not just going to rely on the big men, they're going to try other stuff. I was surprised to see the guards not try to get to the rim more because that's something they're really good at. But again, Tech was good. They're good. They're a good defensive team, a great. Defensive team, And you could see the the strategy of trying to push people to the corner and trap them out there, and you could see it work occasionally, and Gonzaga had to adjust what they wanted to do in order to score, but they found a way to do it, and that makes me feel better about this team going forward. All right, this next question comes from Thomas via Gmail. He says, do you think Nembhard is a streaky player and Suggs covered it up last year, or did he just have a couple off games this year and will continue to play at this level? (laughs) So I wrote in my notes, neither or both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I'm not exactly sure how I feel about either of these questions. I don't think he's a streaky player. I, I don't really get that impression that Nembhard is particularly streaky. I think he's a streaky shooter in the sense that, as I have said before, he's he's mostly a bad three-point shooter, shooter who will occasionally have good games. And in this case, he had literally had a bad half and a good half. I don't think you can look at his overall results in this game and think, and Nembhard's obviously fixed as a shooter because, like I said, he started one for nine. Clearly, he still has struggles as an outside shooter. But in terms of as a general player, I don't think he's particularly streaky as a player. I think he had a few bad games. I mean, he really did. He did after the UCLA game until the Texas Tech game, he was pretty bad. He wasn't good against Duke, he was bad against Tarleton State, and he really struggled against Alabama. A three-game stretch doesn't make a streaky player. I think I generally fall into the camp of believing that he just had a few off games. I think there was there seemed to be a disconnect from what Gonzaga should have been doing in the Alabama game and what they were doing. It's past us. It doesn't really matter anymore. I am still very curious whether that was a a mis, like a like misjudgment by the coaching staff on how they should play that game or whether the guards just really didn't have a lot of confidence in that game and didn't feel comfortable hunting their own looks. But I don't think that Nembhard is necessarily going to he's, – he's, he's not going to be like a 40% three-point shooter for the rest of the year. He's still going to be streaky as an outside shooter. But I think that the – the, the glaring turnover issues we saw against Tarleton State and Alabama, the kind of just seeming to be uncomfortable in the offense and and unwilling to try to hunt his own shot. I think that version of Nembhard, I don't think that's going to be streaky and be in and out. I think that's gone. I think he had a few bad games. He put him behind him. He had a nice night here. And I think we're going to see a more confident Andrew Nembhard, a more talented Andrew Nembhard, a more looking to score Andrew Nempart and improve defensively Andrew Nempart. I think all of that is going to be the case for the rest of the season, but I'm not banking on him being a dramatically improved outside shooter. This next question, kind of touched on it already, comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Andrew Nemphart deserved a lot of credit for rebounding from a one-for-nine start and finishing five-for-seven above and beyond the game-high 16.6 assists, four rebounds, and three steals with only one turnover it very much felt like Andrew Nemphart had control of the game the way a great point guard should. Is this an optimistic sign for him going forward? Yes. Yes it is. Basically I already touched on it kind of in the previous question. But I think that Nemphart obviously, you know, going one for nine is not good necessarily, but his willingness to continue to shoot through that, willingness to to take the good outside shots that were given to him, because he wasn't he wasn't reacting to the defense against Bama. Andrew Nimard's a dang good point guard, one of the best point guards in the country. He still is. He unwavering in that regard. I feel very strongly that he is. His floor vision, his ball handling skills, his decision making in general are very, very good. He had a couple of off nights, particularly against Tarleton State. He was really rough in that game. He was not good against Bama either. He struggled in those games, but he felt much more in control this game. He did what was best for the team. I think he came out there and he read the defense correctly. He, the, and Gonzaga had a lot of time to prepare for this game, so that probably helped in the sense that when you're playing the best defensive team you're going to face all season long, it's nice to have 10 days off beforehand, especially when they do something so unique and something that you've already kind of seen this year. Obviously, Tech did things differently than Texas did. Clearly, Drew to me at 37 against Texas, and you could tell Texas Tech was not going to let that happen to them. And they did a good job of neutralizing Gonzaga's best player. But Nembhard did a great job of reacting to that, not continuing to try to get him the ball, but instead finding different ways to get other teammates open for shots and to find his own shot as well. I think Andrew Nembhard's going to have a great rest of the season. I- I've maintained that his three-point shooting is going to be spotty. And, questionable. and there are probably not going to be too many games where he should be taking a ton, a ton of threes like he did in this one, in part because even if Gonzaga's future opponents attempt to neutralize Timmy in a similar way to what Texas Tech did, most teams that Gonzaga faces are not going to be capable of doing that. In the WCC, there are a few teams that might be able to bottle him up fairly well. St. Mary's comes to mind with Dan Fotu and Matthias Toss. San Francisco potentially as well as some of the depth they have up front. But most of the other teams are not going to be able to do it. So Timmy is going to have a lot of success in conference play, regardless of whether the other team is trying to stop him or not. But I do think that Nemhard proved in this game that he's willing to make adjustments, willing to find the best way to get this team into a winning position, whether it's his offense or whether it's his scoring or more of his facilitating. And I think that should bode really well for what happens the rest of the season. All right, we touched a lot on the outside shooting and Andrew Nemhard's performance against Texas Tech in Segment 1. Coming up in Segment 2, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users of the deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PricePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. to date. Check out PricePix.com now and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your App Store and download the app today. PricePix is daily fantasy made easy. Segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still Mailbag Monday. So we're answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. And even here in segment two, we're still talking about Gonzaga's big win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders on Saturday morning. This first question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, if you knew Drew Timmy would be the fifth-highest scorer in the Texas Tech game with seven points, would you have thought it could possibly be a W for our Zags? Is this a huge win based simply on the fact that the Zags proved how versatile they are, not just in scoring, but on defense, and the fact the Zags remained poised when Tech made a run getting within two points? So to answer the first part of the question, I actually don't know that I would have been shocked to find out that Drew Timmy was the fifth highest league scorer. He had seven points and the Zags still won, in part because we knew Texas Tech was going to be more efficient at stopping Drew Timmy than Texas was. They've run this defense for a lot longer at that program. The players were more familiar with it. And we knew that their big strategy was going to be to stop Kurt Timmy. So I don't think I would have been shocked by that. Also, Alabama being without their two, without their leading scorer in Terrence Shannon and without being Malik Wilson, their starting point guard and primary facilitator. With those guys being out with Tech being, frankly, a, a not very good offensive team, they're much better on the defensive end. I don't know that I would have been stunned by that information. But the rest of the question, yes, this is a big win. And it's a big win you said simply on the fact that the zags proved how versatile they are. It's a big win because Texas Tech is good and they beat them. <laughs> I mean I mean it's a it's a big win in, in the simple fact that Gonzaga beat another top 25 team in the country, a team that they're that they have the likelihood of facing in March. That's why it's a big win. Gonzaga proving they have some more versatility uh, in the way that they score the basketball, obviously important as well. I talked about the fact that I I think that the three point shooting was was fantastic and exactly what they needed in this game. I don't I think it's far from fixed as an issue on this roster, but I think opposing teams now when they game plan against the Gonzaga, they have to know that, hey, they can do that. They're a team that's willing to shoot 31 threes on the night, and they're going to hit over 35% of them. Like they, they can do that, and I think that is a significant part of why this game was so important for Gonzaga. Beyond that, the defense. We didn't talk about the defense much in the first segment. Gonzaga played great defense in this game. Yes, Texas was without two of their most important offensive pieces. And I think that's important to note, that Tech didn't have those two guys. But Gonzaga was more aggressive on the perimeter. Andrew Nembhard looked great defensively. I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that part of his game. Rasier Bolton had one of his better defensive games. Anton Watson was incredible. He had a fantastic night. Uh, has been having really just having a great season. He's had a few questionable games. He had got into some foul trouble for about a week there. That was really kind of concerning. But other than that, he's had a really nice game. He looked good on offense. He looked really good on defense. Seeing Gonzaga be more aggressive around the perimeter, forcing Texas Tech to try to back cut on them and and get around them in other ways, especially when Chet Holmgren was in the game as a rim protector, was exactly what I wanted to see out of this defensive squad. Now, Alabama was a much more polished offense, same with Duke, so Gonzaga proving that they can play better defense against a team like Tech, especially down the guys they were down, doesn't isn't necessarily as big of a confidence boost as I would like for it to be, but it was still really nice to see them go back to playing more aggressive defensively because I think this team has the talent, the length, the athleticism to be really good on that end of the floor if they decide to play more aggressively. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, with the non-conference slate at its end, it's not quite at its end, but it's close, I am curious how you would grade the Zags season so far offensively, defensively, biggest surprise, and biggest disappointment. Cool. So offensively, I'm going to go B. Uh, They have bad outside shooting. Outside of the Tech game, obviously, the outside shooting has been a concern for the team all season long. They are elite at scoring around the rim. Capital E elite. One of the best, not not one of the best two-point scoring team in the nation. But they have also had issues with turnovers. You know, that three-game stretch, Duke, Tarleton State, Alabama, still rings pretty loud in people's ears. It's not gone. Just because they beat Texas Tech 10 days later doesn't mean that, that those struggles are non-existent or that they're not going to creep their creep back. Free throws have also been an issue. So I think this team is a—they're obviously a very good offensive team, and they're elite at scoring around the rim. When you have Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren on your roster, you're going to be really, really good at scoring the basketball close to the hoop. But they still have some stuff that they need to work on, and if they don't get that stuff fixed, they're going to have to rely pretty significantly on their defense and their post players if they want to win games in March. Defensively, I give this team an A-. minus. Chet is elite. He's absolutely elite around the rim. He's an elite shot blocker, rim protector, shot alterer. He's fantastic. Drew Timmy looks improved in that area as well. And then Anton Watson is one of the best defensive players in the country. They're forcing more turnovers. They're more pesky on defense. They're knocking the ball away. The traps have been great. Their perimeter D has been spotty at times. That's the only reason they don't get a full A. The Alabama game really stands out as a game where they were much more unwilling to be aggressive defensively, kind of let Bama do what they wanted to do. They can't play like that if they want to win games in March. Biggest surprise for me is is how game-ready Nolan Hickman is. We knew Nolan Hickman would be good. Uh, I thought he would be a little bit more like Hunter Salas, where we see Salas make a fair amount of freshman mistakes, which is okay. It's not a bad thing. I think Hunter Salas has improved significantly from day one till now, and he's going to be very good by the end of the season and into next year. But Hickman came in right away able to control the pace of the offense. He was a calm, cool, collected, poised, doesn't turn the ball over. To be like that as a true freshman point guard is impressive and was, it was a surprise to me. And the biggest disappointment has been the ball security from Gonzaga's veteran guards, notably Andrew Nemhard and Rasier Bolton. Gonzaga's turnover issues in a large part have been because of the bigs. Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren have a significant chunk of Gonzaga's turnovers, but you don't expect them to be great at handling the basketball. You kind of expect that occasionally they're going to have some bad passes, whereas seeing Nimhard turn the ball over as much as he has has been concerning and disappointing. Hopefully his confidence is back after that game against Tech, and he's going to be much more careful with the basketball going forward. Next question comes from Larry via Gmail. He says, is this the most unpredictable and diverse Zags team you have seen? To be honest, it is neither. Uh, the 2014-2015 team, or I think 14-15, maybe 15-16, either way, the team that Destroyed Utah. They were an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. They just snuck their way in, the closest Gonzaga has come to not making the big dance in a very long time. But then they smoked three seeded Utah, top 15 team in the country. I mean, just beat the tar out of them. That same team lost to Portland during the regular season. That team was wildly unpredictable. They had all the big men in the world with Wilcher and Sabonis. Their guard play was really a challenge. It was the first year after Kevin Pangos and Gary Bell left. They were kind of patching together a backcourt. Eric McClellan came up huge that season. Kyle Dren Silas Melson. Melson was a true freshman. They, they, that was a nice team that kind of figured it out as the year went on. But they were very unpredictable game in and game out. And in terms of diversity, last year's team was a more diverse team in the sense of, they did not have the rim protection that this year's team has, obviously, but they were more capable scorer. They were more likely to have different players lead the team in scoring. They were certainly a better outside shooting team, a better free throw shooting team, less turnovers on that team. I think that team was more diverse offensively, maybe not defensively, definitely not defensively, but was more diverse offensively. So this team... One of the most talented, depth-wise, probably the deepest team that Gonzaga has had in a very, very long time. But outside of a couple games of, of looking a little off, I don't find this team to be particularly unpredictable. Hacking up 31 threes against Tech was unexpected. I'll give you that. That is fair. But I don't think this team is is all that unpredictable in general. And I think that from a diversity perspective in terms of what they can do offensively, they've had teams that have had a wider range of possibilities than this team as well. All right, last question. of segment 2 comes from Stephen DeWitt at S underscore DeWitt11 on Twitter, who says, does Chet fit in this offense? Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm not really sure how to answer this question. Uh, He's shooting 77% on two-pointers, 77% on shots inside the two-point arc. Uh, 33% on threes for a guy who's 7 feet tall and a freshman. 33% on threes. Uh, he's scoring 13 points per game in an offense that is the most efficient offensive team in the country inside the arc. So 13 points per game on a balanced scoring team. Um, most elite offensive team in the country under inside the rim. And he's shooting 77%. I think he fits just fine. I'm not sure where this kind of concern about Chet offensively has really come from. I think part of where it might stem from is this expectation that as the number one overall recruit, uh, as you know, the, the highest rated recruit in school history, a one-and-done guy who's potentially going to go first overall in the NBA draft, I think people maybe just expected, shouldn't he be scoring 20 points per game? Like, shouldn't he be Gonzaga's leading scorer? Shouldn't he be, you know, like, like a... Paulo Banquerô type or an Anthony Davis type where they scored a bunch of points right away. And that was never who Chet Holmgren was going to be. It was known coming out of high school that he's going to be a better defensive player than offensive and that his offense is going to have to catch up. Frankly, that the offense fully catching up might not happen in one year. It might not happen until he's a few years into his NBA career where the, the offense really starts to, to be at the level that he's at defensively. He was always a defense first prospect and that has been very true. He is so good defensively. His The impact he makes on this team on the defensive end of the floor is is far more immeasurable than what we actually see. We we You can kind of tell that teams start to be less aggressive going to the rim. They attempt more floaters, which are more contested. They don't try to get into his body as much. I think it was the Texas game where he only had two points, and there was a lot of criticism about his performance where... I think Texas took 15, percent of their shots at the rim when he was in the game and 56% of their shots at the rim when he was out of the game. That is such a monumental difference that doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet but that he is able to have. Offensively, he's averaging 13 per game. 33% on threes is totally fine for a guy his size. I hope that that improves. 77% around the rim. Yes, they've struggled a little bit to figure out exactly what they want to do with two bigs on the floor. And in that regard, I guess you could you could say there's some fit issues, but I don't see it. I, I think a guy who's that efficient at scoring the basketball, uh, partnered with a guy like Drew Timmy, who's also as efficient as he is scoring the basketball, I don't think Gonzaga's having any fit issues. Offensively, and I don't think Chet Holgren is, is part of the problem on either side of the ball. All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener submitted questions. But first, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. Bet Online has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to builtbar.com now and use promo code Locked15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's builtbar.com, promo code Locked15 for 15% off your first order. All right, welcome back, segment three. Still, Andy Patton still locked on, Zed, still answering listener-submitted questions after Gonzaga's big-time win over Texas Tech. On Saturday morning, this next question comes from Jake via Gmail. He says, I noticed with the three-point line visible on the court in the Texas Tech game, most three-pointers were taken from NBA range, and Gonzaga shot a very high percentage. That tells me the players are practicing to prepare for the NBA. Would you agree, and if so, do you blame them? Do you think that should they should mark the th- NBA line on all college basketball courts, or should they push the college basketball three-point line further back? So yeah, I, I don't think... That where the three-point line was on the court uh, in the on the Phoenix court had anything to do with Gonzaga's success shooting the rock I got to be honest with you I, I wasn't paying attention to where their feet were I also think if you watch games where Gonzaga is playing on a court that doesn't have an NBA three-point line you'll notice that the players are frequently one or two feet behind the college basketball three-point line so I think it maybe just stood out more because we could actually see the NBA three-point line I don't think that Gonzaga's players, are practicing from further away to the point where that impacts their ability to hit closer threes. I'm not sure if that's part of the implication here, but I don't think that that's probably doesn't have anything to do with it in my mind. I don't think it's a bad thing for guys who have their sights set on playing in the NBA to be practicing from NBA range. That would be Andrew Nembhard and Julian Strother on this roster. Rasir Bolton may be practicing from the NBA, may have NBA, certainly has NBA aspirations. I don't think that's a likely avenue for him necessarily. I don't think it's a bad thing to be practicing deeper threes necessarily. I doubt it had really any significant impact on this game. In terms of pushing the college basketball three-point line further back, I think it's probably something that's going to happen here pretty soon. As teams get better at shooting threes, they're going to probably move the line back a little bit. It's going to eventually happen where it's the same line in the NBA and in college. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but I feel very confident that it will happen at some point, probably in the near-ish future. So I wouldn't be surprised if that gets talked about uh, very soon. Next question comes from John via Gmail. He says, when discussing next year's team, you have said on more than one occasion that we might be in the market for a grad transfer or two, depending on who we might retain and lose from the current squad. My question to you is with both grad transfers and other non-grad transfers continuing to be immediately eligible, why do you believe we would only be looking for a grad transfer and not all transfers to fill the potential holes on next year's team? It would seem as if it would be, benef- be a benefit to the program to analyze all potential players who could fill the role we might be looking for unless we believe we will discourage 2023 recruits and we feel that could be a big class. Yeah, I think this is probably just reading too far into the words that I'm using on the podcast, to be honest. Gonzaga is going to look at every player available um, that they think fits a role. I-, I think Gonzaga looks primarily at grad transfer for multiple reasons. Uh, one, historically, that's been the only players who are immediately eligible. That's obviously the biggest factor Gonzaga needs to address the 2022 roster if they lose Andrew Nemphart, Andrew Timmy, and Chet Holmgren, and Julian Strother, and Rasir Bolton, which is very possible that they will lose all of those players between this year and next year. If that happens, they will they can't look for players who are not going to be eligible right away. <laughs> but if they can find players who are going to be immediately eligible, whether they're grad transfers or not... That should be the avenue that they're taking. I don't think they're going to worry about the 2023 recruiting class at all with regards to players that they're trying to find for next year's roster. I will say that grad transfers are probably easier to get at a school like Gonzaga that has graduate programs, uh, that has the ability to get players who have already graduated from undergrad and just pop them right into a grad school. Uh, from a compliance perspective, from somebody who worked five years in academic support with college athletics, sometimes getting straight transfers can be complicated gonzaga's academically rigorous institution and while they have found ways to get players who probably had really complicated transcripts onto this roster and i believe that they'll figure out a way with just about everybody it's probably pretty rare for them to turn down players but grad transfers are much easier you enroll them in grad school they have to take less classes most of the classes are at more convenient times in terms of practice so, there's a lot of benefits. I know as somebody who, like I said, worked in this field, the grad transfer students were easy. They were much easier from a compliance perspective, from an academic perspective. It was easier for them to deal with that. Again, Gonzaga's gonna find whatever players address their needs the best, and they're gonna deal with the back end stuff on the back end. But I don't believe that, but I, I do believe that there's a benefit. And, and not every school has grad programs. So, Gonzaga can compete for players that other schools. Cannot compete with because they they don't have the ability to bring them in as grad school students. So that is an that is an advantage that Gonzaga has as well. But again, I think this is more just miss just just over analyzing the words that I'm saying. Gonzaga is going to go after whoever they think is going to fit this roster next season. And the final question of the show comes from Jacob Quarter Two on Twitter. He says a fun question, but who would you say is the most underrated Zag? He says I want to add a caveat that being a player who the the player that you select must have been playing while you attended Gonzaga. He named Gino Crandall. Gino's a great pick, obviously a player who got hurt in his one and only season in a Gonzaga uniform, which unfortunately didn't allow people to see how great he really was. I was not in college when Gino was there, so I cannot select him. I was at Gonzaga from 2009 to 2013, which conveniently overlaps all four years with the player I am selecting, which is power forward Elias Harris, I kind of hummed and hawed about this. I thought about picking some more kind of unheralded bench guys uh, who, who maybe didn't get a lot of love because they weren't significant players. But quite frankly, Elias Harris, despite being recognized as one of Gonzaga's better players, is is still underrated. He's still underrated. This man averaged between 12.5 and 15 points all four years he was in a Gonzaga uniform. He was hyper-consistent. I know people talk about his best year was his freshman year, and he should have left after that, and it could have cost him an NBA career. And there's some potential truth to that, I think, in, in a lot of ways. But Elias Harris finished his collegiate career fourth in school history in points. Fourth. He's first in defensive rebounds. He is second in total rebounds, the second best rebounder in school history, the best rebounder in the Mark Few era by a landslide. He's third in win shares. I mean, this dude is a top five player in Gonzaga history, top three or four player in Mark Few's era. Hands down, yes, obviously it's hard to compare a player like Elias Harris who has these huge statistical numbers because he spent all four years in a Gonzaga uniform, whereas you know how do you compare him to a a Jalen Suggs or a Chet Holmgren or a Drew Timmy or... Kyle Wilcher, who was only there for two years, Demontis Sabonis, like there's there's tons of them, and most people would probably list those one and done or two and done guys as being better than Elias Harris because they you know had NBA careers, successful careers. Uh, Elias Harris, to be clear, has had an extremely successful basketball career, it just did not happen in the NBA. But I think there's a lot of people who would be surprised to find out that Elias Harris is top five in basically every significant offensive category in Gonzaga school history. And for me, that that makes him under, underrated, a guy who, who was better than I think people who maybe don't remember as well uh, would, would think. All right, happy Zag Day. For those who are listening on Monday, we got Northern Arizona tonight. Recap of that game coming on Tuesday, of course. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcast, and available on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button on the tube if you have not already. Finally, now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.